Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. I want to begin by taking us to uh, an amazing moment in history when a group of young Jewish men living under the rule of the Roman Empire uh, meet a man, uh, a very unique man. And uh, the reaction to that man is quite incredible. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. But as we read about their reaction, their response to that man, I want us to focus on two things. First, as they meet him, as they encounter him, what words, what titles do they use to, to speak of him? To, what, what, what titles do they ascribe to him? Uh, and second, what emotions do those words or those titles awaken them? Because words have, have power. Uh, words can cause a, a gut reaction inside of us. Uh, and so what were the words that they used and how did those words make them feel? Okay, so two questions. What did they call him and how did they feel? Okay, you ready? Uh, pay attention for six different titles or descriptions, okay, for people who like to keep track. Should come up on the screen as well. Yes, okay, John chapter 1, reading from the ESV, beginning in verse 35. You with me? Good? All right. The next day again, John was standing, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at that man as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed that man. And he turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed that man was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah which means Christ, the anointed one. And he brought him to that man who looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son, of, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means the rock. The next day that man decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. And Yeshua saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Yeshua answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Amazing. I think it's an amazing moment. No? It's this moment in history when these young Jewish men living under the rule of the Roman Empire, there's suddenly this man in their midst and the words, the titles, their reaction to him is so loaded. It's, it's like a, a pressure cooker of emotion in that moment. Okay, what did they call him? Six titles that they gave to, to Yeshua, to, to Jesus. And maybe I'll just clarify, as, uh, as somebody who follows Jesus as a, as a Jewish person living in a Hebrew-speaking context, I prefer to call him by his original Hebrew Aramaic name, which was Yeshua. Yeshua, okay? But Yeshua, Jesus, is, is interchangeable, okay? Uh, in other languages, we'll, we'll call him by a different name, but 
I like to call him by the, the original. <laughs> uh, amazing. Okay, did anybody catch six different titles, words? Just shout them out. What, what did we hear? How did they address him? What words did they? Lamb of God, yes. What else? Rabbi, the second. What's the big one? Verse 41. Messiah, Christ. Okay, Lamb of God, Rabbi, Messiah. King of Israel. That's the last one. Son of God. And then one more. It's a bit of a longer one. When, when, uh, when Philip finds Nathaniel, he does, uh, when Simon finds, uh, sorry, when Andrew finds Simon, he says, we have found the Messiah. And when Philip finds Nathaniel, he says, we have found who? Son of, well, he gives this longer description. Him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote. There you go, right there. Okay, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Okay, so six different, different titles, different words that they use to, to describe him. Lamb of God, Rabbi, Messiah, him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, son of God, king of Israel. Okay, second question. What do you think those words meant to them? What emotions did they awaken in them? Uh, for me, what, what I hear is just this incredible uh, excitement. Come and see, come and see, we have found, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote. You know, there's this, this incredible uh, joy, this, this discovery of this long-awaited uh, figure that, they've, that somebody they've been waiting for, somebody they've been waiting for for, for many, many, many years. Okay, six titles, and this joyful response. You there with me? Can, can you see it? We're, we're, with, we're with those young Jewish men living under the rule of the Roman Empire. Now, that was 2,000 years ago, roughly. And here we are today, gathered in the name of, of Jesus, in the name of Yeshua, to celebrate him, to celebrate his, his presence. And the Bible tells us that uh, history continued from that moment. And that man, Yeshua the Messiah, died on the cross, uh, was buried, uh, and then the Bible says that he, he rose again, and after he rose again, shortly after he went up, whatever that means, out of the physical realm that we can see and touch, and it says that he is now, even in this moment, mystery of mysteries, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, at the right hand of God the Father, ruling from heaven until he comes back in the flesh to rule. Okay, So there's this story, and right now, we don't see him with our eyes, but the Bible also says where two or three are gathered in his name, he is, he is here, he is with us, he is in our midst. And so I can't explain this to you, but I can testify, and I believe many in this room can testify, he is here <laughs> by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I mean, a man who lived 2,000 years ago, he's here as king, and you go, whoa, okay. So if he is here, then each one of us is confronted by his presence just as those young men were in that moment in history. Each one of us is, is, is faced with that man. So who, who is he and how will, how will we respond to him? How did they respond to him? Now, now this is where I think that moment is incredible because we can learn and even be challenged by the way that they responded to him in that moment. I think their response presents to us uh, a challenge that, that maybe has two parts. So first, will we join those, those young men in recognizing him as who he really is? They, they saw it. Some people didn't see it, but they saw it. Wow, that's the Lamb of God. That's the Messiah. Their eyes were open. They saw who he is. 
so that's the first challenge. Will we join them in recognizing him? And second, will we join them in their joy? So the first challenge, will we join them in recognizing him? Mean, it comes down ultimately to the question, uh, who, who is that man? Who is that man? Uh, now, everybody, I think, uh, has heard of Jesus, of Yeshua, okay? So, so even if he's just a curse word, almost everybody has heard of him and thinks something about him, okay? And even in this room, I'm sure there's a range of some people who maybe don't yet believe in him, haven't given their life to him. He's some figure of the past who died. Who, who, is, who is this man? Who is this man? Maybe you've grown up in church all your life and you think you know who he is. Uh, or maybe you really have given your life to him and you've been uh, plumbing the, the depths of the mysteries of who he is for decades now, but you just know there's, there's infinitely more. But each one of us is faced with the question, who is this man? Uh, and in, in, in Mark 8, Yeshua asks his own disciples, he says, well, first, who, who do people say that I am? And they give a list, and then he looks them in the eye, and he says, and who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Okay, and that's the question I think each one of us is confronted with here today. And what's our answer to that question? Who do you say that I am? Lamb of God? Rabbi? Messiah? The one of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote? <laughs> Son of God? King of Israel? Would those be the first words that, for some maybe, maybe Messiah, which has the same word in, in Greek as Christos, which becomes in English Christ. So for some of you that might be very natural, but those words, will we join them in recognizing him by those words? For some of you, maybe today could be the first time that like those young men, your eyes were opened and you saw, wow, he is the one. Second though, is will we join them in their joy? Will we join them in their joy? Now, you might be happy with those words, Lamb of God, Rabbi, Messiah, uh, Son of God, King of Israel, okay? I can, I can roll with those. I can, I can say, yeah, he's, he's those. But this is the question that I'm challenged by. Do those words awaken the same emotions, the same reaction in me that they did for those young men? I would, I would confess for me, no. Can you, can you hear how how loaded that moment is for them when suddenly they see oh, Lamb of God, Messiah. Those words meant so much to them. Uh, I, I, kind of, I, I was trying to think of a way of, of, of explaining this, and it reminded me of doing a Lord of the Rings marathon with my brothers, you know, the extended version. So proper, it's like, what is it, like 10, 11 hours by the time you get to Mount Doom with Frodo and Sam, and you're there at the end of the story, and you think, has anybody done a Lord of the Rings marathon? Yes, okay. Uh, so, you know, you, you've, you've walked with, with those characters the whole journey up to Mount Doom, all the ups and downs and failures and victories and disappointments and loneliness, and then you, you, get, you get to Mount Doom with, with Frodo and Sam, and then Gollum comes, and there's this incredible climactic moment, and you're there, and the emotions that you're feeling in that moment after staying up all night and eating who knows how much junk food, and you're just kind of there going, oh my goodness, will the ring fall? And then Frodo decides not to drop it, you just go, and then going, so you're there, the emotions that you're feeling in that moment are like, whoa. And then imagine somebody else comes in and they've never read the book, they don't know the story, what's going on? Here? 
and they come and there's this weird gangly creature biting someone's finger off and thinking, what's going on here? And I wonder if, I wonder if, and sometimes reading the Bible, we can be like that person who comes in at the last moment, we don't, we don't know the story. We don't know the story. <laughs> and there's people who've been living in this story, real people in history who've been carrying these promises since the time of Abraham, since before. And so those words mean so much to them. And we're Lamb of God? That sounds a bit weird. <laughs> you know? What, 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 what does that mean? Or him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, who's Moses? You know, that might be an extreme example, but, but we, if we don't know the story, we'll never join them in the, in the joy of this discovery of who, who is this man. You, you, you hear that? Okay. Uh, this is the part I wish I had another two hours, because <laughs> well, I want to make this practical with a, with a challenge, I think, for, for all of us. And I think each one can respond to this challenge according to where they're at, if this is all new for them, or they've been walking with the Lord for, for decades. But the, the challenge is this, is how well do we know the messianic prophecies of the Bible? Okay? How well do we know the messianic prophecies of the Bible? Uh, for those who might not know, the, the Bible's split into two parts. You have the, the first larger part is what most people call the Old Testament, which I pr- prefer to call the, he- the Hebrew Bible. Uh, and then that's everything before Yeshua came. Okay? So that's the same Bible. If you were to meet a Jewish person today, that's, that's their Bible also. Okay? And then once Yeshua comes, we have the New Testament, which is the testimony of his disciples. Now, the first part, the Hebrew Bible, is full of prophecies. It's full of these incredible words that God spoke through prophets to make predictions about things that will happen in the future. Uh, Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies. Some of them we see fulfilled during that time period and others far into the future. Now many of those prophecies are what we call messianic prophecies. Why? Because they are prophecies pointing forward to this man, who's maybe more than a man, who will come, this, this coming one, this, this, this figure, this mysterious figure, okay? And as the story progresses, and as you, as you read through these pages, you find more and more and more, it's like this uh, rising crescendo of, of expectation, another promise and another, or, or like this, this tapestry of promises that get woven around this one that you can't quite see him yet, but he's coming, okay? And, and then when he comes, it's like, wow, we've been waiting for him. We've been waiting for him. Uh, but it's also important, those, those promises, uh, when, when Yeshua comes, he, he says some of these are being fulfilled right now before your eyes, and he'll, he'll interpret himself using those promises. But some of them are to be fulfilled even now through this period of history, and some of them are yet to be fulfilled when he comes back. Okay, So it's almost like a, a road map of, of history around the one who, as we just sang, is the center of it all. Okay, so it's this incredible thing to, to get into. Uh, and my, my challenge to us today is, uh, how well do we know those messianic prophecies? Uh, because we know historically that those young Jewish men, they knew them. <laughs> you know, they would have memorized them. They would have talked about them over breakfast. They would have talked about them as they walked in the field with their fathers. They, they lived and breathed these prophecies. They knew these scriptures 
right down in the, in the core of, of, their, of their being, like knowing your parents, who they are. It's, it's those, those things that make up the, the core of them. Uh, so how well do we know them? Okay. And if we want to join those young men in their joy, I would say it would be good to know them and <laughs> to learn them. Has anybody studied messianic prophecies? Has anybody a little bit... Okay, so, so, so some people might already know, have, have tasted the, the, the richness of, of diving into these things. Uh, okay, now we, we only have a bit of time left. Uh, so I've got about, there's, there's so many, but I've got about 17 here that I want to read us. <laughs> and we've got, uh, we need to pick the kids up in 15 minutes. So, uh, so what, what I want to do is, is just, just give us a, just kind of a whirlwind overview of some of the highlights, not to deal with any of the difficult, some of them are really tricky, some of them are complicated, and I'm only here this week, so I'm going to leave all of the complicated stuff for Steph to deal with, <laughs> uh, which I'm sure he'll thank, thank me for afterwards, but uh, let, let's just, if you have a Bible, let's just, let's just get an overview, let's just read it in, in a flow and, and catch the big picture. And, and as we do that, let's let the Lord speak to our hearts. And maybe first he'll just want to reveal himself to us in a fresh way, maybe even for the first time. You think, wow, how amazing is that, that these ancient people had these ancient prophe- prophecies, and then this man came who fulfilled them in such an incredible way. I mean, that's just as a historical reality. That's an incredible thing. How do you explain that? <laughs> you know, that's, that's amazing. Some of them are very specific. Uh, but also, I, I, as, I, as I read through these, let's just hear the invitation into the story. Because if you're following Yeshua, if you call yourself a, a Christian or, or his disciple, uh, you want to know him, and he wants to know you. And this is one of the ways we can, we can know him, because this is how he explained himself to people, was with these scriptures. Uh, and so, so it's an invitation. And, and I'll give the references as I go, and maybe you'll want to jot one down and think, well, I want to meditate on that this week. I want to gather a few people together, and let's, let's study that. What does that teach us about the church, about Messiah, about, about our Lord. Okay, so it's an invitation to dive in. Okay. Does anybody know what the first one is? It all starts in the garden. It all starts in the garden. Genesis 3. Uh, yes, Astrid got it. Uh, okay, so, so after the fall, after they eat the fruit. Are you, are you with me? Are you guys you're, you're ready to, to dive in? Okay, great. Uh, so after, after the sin uh, of, of Adam and, and, and Eve, uh, God comes and he uh, gives, gives consequences to the serpent and then the woman and then the man. And at the end of his uh, words to the serpent, he speaks this mysterious prophecy in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, okay, so God says, I will put, he's speaking to the serpent, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring, your seed, and her offspring, or her seed, her descendant. And he, the offspring, will bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Uh, now, it's a mysterious prophecy about this one who will come, and the serpent represents evil. He, he represents darkness, the, uh, the force against good. And there's this one who will come who will crush the head of the serpent, but in doing so, he himself will be bruised. Okay, that is the cross right there in the first, first few chapters. Uh, okay, we don't have time, so I'm going to keep going. Uh, Genesis 12, 
uh, you get the promise to Abraham. And I'm going to skip that one because it's not a specific messianic prophecy, but it's the infrastructure of messianic prophecy. So Genesis 12, the promise to Abraham. Uh, you can read that one before bed this evening. Uh, Genesis 49 is the next one. Uh, another mysterious one, but really significant for tracking how the story unfolds. So this is at the end of the story of uh, Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 sons, which become the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? So uh, Jacob is given a new name, Israel. And at the end of his life, he does this, this mysterious moment where he prophesies over his 12 sons. And he speaks these uh, promises over his 12 sons. And when he gets to the fourth son, which is Judah, in Genesis 49, verse 8, these are the words he gives to his fourth son. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub from the prey. My son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness who dares rouse him. And this is the key verse. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until, and the Hebrew of this one is tricky, but I'll just read the ESV for now, uh, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Uh, now, this is uh, a prophecy, you need time to unpack all the details of it, but it's from this point on, we know that the tribe of Judah, so out of the 12 sons and the 12 tribes, one of them is going to have some kind of authority, some kind of ruler will come from that tribe and not the other ones. Now that becomes really significant when we get to King David, who is from which tribe? Judah. From the tribe of Judah. Okay, so it starts to, to track the story and the, the first place you see that, that clearly arranged is, is Genesis 49. Okay, uh, Numbers 24. This is a beautiful one and not a very well-known one. Uh, I actually only discovered this one when I was preparing this sermon. So there you go. It's just amazing how many there are. So this is uh, the, the prophet Balaam, the, the guy who got stuck with the donkey who was talking and wouldn't take him. Okay. So uh, the bad king Balak tries to get this ancient prophet to come and curse the people of Israel. But no matter how hard he, he tries, only blessings come out of his mouth. And he goes, what's going on? And he's this famous, we actually know about this prophet from other historical archaeological sources outside the Bible. It's amazing. We know from ancient, ancient days. Uh, and so this, this prophet who is, is trying to speak the words against this people, but he can't do anything but bless this people. And then in chapter 24, verse 15, he gets stuck with this amazing moment. So it says, And he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Bil'am, of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eyes opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down with his eyes uncovered. Now listen to this. Here's this prophet. This, is, this would have been more than a thousand years before Yeshua came. Okay? So this is ancient history here. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, Israel, and a scepter, there's the scepter again, shall rise. Scepter is what you rule, a king rules with a, a royal scepter. It's like a. Um, a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and it shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed, Seir also, his enemies, shall be dispossessed, and Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. 
what is going on there? Again, I'm not going to deal with all the tricky stuff there. As you can see, you, you need to understand this and how Yeshua uh, explains this in the New Testament. What, do you see this amazing, this ancient prophet sees this one who's coming, but not yet. Wow. And those scriptures would have been memorized and known by those same young men who encountered him. And they're like, wow, this is that star that, that Bil'am saw more than a thousand years ago. He's standing right in front of me. I mean, you just think, how do you explain that historically? It's an amazing, amazing thing. Um, okay. Can we go a few more? You good? Uh, what did Philip say when he found Nathaniel? We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote. Now, we know the prophets spoke a lot about the Messiah, but where did Moses speak about the Messiah? Anybody know? 28? Take off the two and go down one number? No? 18, 18, Deuteronomy 18, 28 might be as well, but Deuteronomy 18 is this amazing moment. Now again, this, this has some issues uh, in terms of its interpretation, but uh, Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, Moses says this. He's speaking to the people of Israel, and he says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And then skip down to verse 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command them, command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Okay? And if you read the book of Acts, this is one of the passages that the first uh, apostles, Jesus' followers, will, will quote to the Jewish people and to others to say, the one about the prophet like Moses has come. Okay, so this, this shapes the, the whole language that we read in the, in the New Testament. Okay, we're um, made it out of the, the Torah, the first five books. We'll skip over Joshua, Judges, uh, to the time of the kings. First king, Saul. Second king? <coughs> David, David. Okay, second king is David. Uh, and David is, if you were to point to one figure in the Bible to make sense of the the, the central thread of the Messiah, it is King David, okay? We know him as Messiah, son of David, okay? This is the big, the big theme. Now, the key chapter where God makes a promise to King David about a thousand years before Yeshua was born is 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is toward the end of King David's life, and uh, David is living in this beautiful house, but God's... Um, the, the, the ark, this, this uh, special place where they kept uh, the representation of God's presence uh, or his holy presence, let me explain the ark, <laughs> uh, was in a tent. Uh, and so it wasn't in a temple. And so David said, well, I wanna, how can I be in a house and God is in a tent? So he comes before God and says, I want to build a house for you. Uh, and then uh, in 2 Samuel 7, verse 3 uh, this prophet Nathan says to the king, go and do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. I'm going to read this quickly, but just catch the flow and, and there's some really, really key stuff here. Uh, verse four. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day that I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. 
But I have been moving about in a tent from my dwelling in all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you, David, from the pasture, David was a shepherd, from, the fo- from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall no longer afflict them as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Now, listen closely. We're in the middle of verse 11. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Now, David already had a beautiful physical house at that point. So what is God speaking about here? When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring, your seed. Same word that we had back in Genesis. And you shall, uh, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me. Uh, he was uh, a house Sorry, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever, 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 forever. That word appears number of times in this passage, in these promises. Uh, now, there's a few tricky things here because the prophet's speaking about David's immediate son, Solomon, about other sons that will come, and about the Messiah. So it's kind of, you have to uh, unravel it a bit to track, but there's very clear here that there's a promise of a son of David who will have an eternal, forever kingdom throne from the line of David. And this one is also, catch the key verse, Verse 14, I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. One of the key places to understand who is the son of God, right here. Now, when Nathanael's eyes are opened and he sees, Rabbi, you are the son of God and you are the, what is he quoting? 2 Samuel 7. Wow, I am standing in front of the one that a thousand years ago God promised to my ancestor David. Can you imagine, I mean, that's, compare Frodo and Sam after 10 hours of Lord of the Rings to that. I mean, wow, wow. Imagine what Nathaniel felt. You are, are I mean, can you you imagine what that moment is like? I mean, we're so so individualistic today, we don't know our grandparents or great-grandparents' history. For some people, they know their family history all the way back through generations. And these people were chosen by God to carry these promises, and so they knew them. Okay, we're running out of time. I have to come back, Steph, and we'll do another. Uh, we didn't even get to the prophets in the Psalms yet. Uh, uh, what do we want, Psalms or prophets? Psalm 2, yes. Okay, I, I had, to do, had to do Psalm 2 because this is really, really important. Thank you. That, that's, that is uh, Psalm 2. Maybe we'll have to finish with this. Uh, 
How does it work? People have to go pick up the kids at 12.15, right? All right, so I'm going to keep going. And uh, <laughs> Rich says, just keep going. So I'm going to keep going <laughs> until I fall asleep. And if people need to go pick up kids or go home. Um, OK, Psalm 2. Uh, but yes, if you need to go pick up your kids, then, then please do so. Uh, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now, in most of your Bibles, it will say anointed. Does it have a capital A at the beginning? Why is that? What is the word in Hebrew here? Mashiach. Can anybody say Mashiach? Okay, think like Bach, Mashiach. Okay, Mashiach. Now, Mashiach is where we get the word Masiah, Messiah. Okay, Messiah is just an English version of the Hebrew Mashiach. When you get it translated into Greek, you get Christos, which is the same meaning. Both of them are about anointed one, somebody anointed with oil, which we don't have time to go into now. Uh, so this is Mashiach, which gets to English as Messiah, but Christos, Christ. Okay, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Okay, <laughs> Jesus Christ, son of Joseph Christ. Mm. <laughs> Some people just don't know, right? You just don't know. Uh, it's, a, it's a royal title. It's a royal title. And this is one of the places, one of the places that that figure we read about in Genesis, Genesis 3, Genesis 49, Numbers 24, Deuteronomy 18, 2 Samuel 7, the picture starts to unfold through history. Here he gets his key title, Psalm 2, Mashiach, Messiah, anointed one, okay? So, against the Lord and against his anointed one, saying, and so here, here we see him and the kings of the world. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven, in the heavens, laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, so this is God the Father speaking to the kings of the earth, and he tells them, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. So we speak about Jesus, Yeshua, ruling over all the earth, and the nations being his heritage. Here you have it. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. He is holy. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. O mighty politicians of the world, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is amazing because throughout the Hebrew Bible, um, there's so many verses that speak about take re taking refuge in God, the Father. But here, who are people invited to take refuge in? In the Messiah, in the Son. Have you taken refuge in him today? Okay. Rich said just keep going, so I'm going to keep going. Psalm 110 is uh, probably, by most accounts, the most quoted passage in the Hebrew Bible in the New Testament. So if you read through the New Testament, the Gospels, Jesus is speaking, the disciples are reflecting on him, and they're all the time, all the time, everywhere. If you have eyes to see it, they're 
all the time interacting with these scriptures. They're, they're explaining them, they're trying to understand them. Hang on, it said that, so he must be that. They're, it's like this, they're trying to un, unfold the map of who he is based on all these things that we're reading right now in our Bibles. Now, there is one that is quoted and referred to, whether directly or indirectly, more than any other place. Psalm 120. See if you can catch the word that sounds so familiar in the New Testament. The Lord said, a Psalm of David, the Lord said to my Lord, the Lord Adonai, the holy name of God, said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Uh, we won't read the whole thing, but you get the key line. God the Father, the Lord, says to his anointed one, to his son, the Messiah, sit at my right hand. Sit at my right hand. That's probably the most frequent description of Yeshua, the Messiah, throughout the New Testament in terms of how we make sense of where he is and who he is. Seated at the right hand of God the Father. Okay? There you have it. Psalm 110. And this, just, just a little taste. So if you, if you jump over to, to Matthew, um, uh, just to, to show why these things are so significant as we, as we seek to know, to know Yeshua, to know our Lord. So uh, Matthew... Uh, what is it, 20, uh, oh, it's escaping me, the Lord said to my Lord, is it 20, 22, thank you. Yes, thank you. So this is after all the, all the other Jewish leaders are trying to challenge him and none of them can, 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 can get him, none of them can catch him. And then uh, he says in Matthew 22, Verse 41, now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Yeshua asked them this question, saying, who do you think, what do you think about the, now did Jesus say Christ? What word did he say? What do you think? I don't think he even said Messiah. What did he say? Can anybody say it? Yes, Steph got it, Mashiach. Okay, what do you think about the Mashiach? Uh, whose son is he? They said to him, Son of David, 2 Samuel 7. And he said to them, How is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. So do you see how Yeshua is explaining himself using these texts? Okay, really quickly, because I want to I wrap up. Uh, we, we, have to, we have to get a little, little dive into the prophets, because Christmas is coming. Right? And, and Christmas is interesting because it's a celebration that he came. But I wonder if Christmas can lose its meaning if you don't get, it's like what we're doing right now. It's like trying to get behind Christmas to the other side of it and see, oh, wow, that's what Christmas is all about. This one who came into our darkness and, and we were longing for him. But Christmas can kind of lose its meaning if you don't know the story. So Isaiah 9, I think Rich actually opened with this. But look at this promise. This is building on the promise to David. Uh, and the, the, uh, the son of David who will rule. Uh, so Isaiah 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amazing. I mean, what a king. It's not just a king will come. It's like, look, have you ever seen a king like that? 
wonderful counselor. And there will be peace. Uh, okay, Isaiah 11. We're going to skip over so much in Isaiah. Uh, but I want to finish with the last biggest one in Isaiah. But before I do that, let me just really quickly read to you one from Micah and one from uh, Zechariah, because he's and, and one from Daniel seven. So Daniel seven, <laughs> they're like, no, 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 no more. <laughs> Daniel seven. I'm just gonna read it really fast. Just we we gotta hear this because this this is so key. If we want to know who he is, we we have to know these scriptures. Okay, people don't get into this anymore. But this is the story that you will, nations all over the world. I mean, how many nations are represented here? And each one of us has been invited into this story. It's a real historical story. It's not some vague thing floating out there. This is real promises to a real people and real history. And he really came. Okay, so we got to know the story. We got to know the promises. Daniel 7, uh, this is this vision of the Son of Man. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, to God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Wow. Uh, Micah. This one is just amazing. Micah chapter 5, uh, verse 2. This is the prophecy that we know he'll be born in Bethlehem, right? Again, the Christmas story. He's born in Bethlehem. What is that? Okay, here we've got the promise. Uh, Micah chapter 5, I think in English Bibles, it's, it's verse 2, yeah. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, uh, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, this is God speaking, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So you have this king coming from Judah, Genesis 49, okay, king coming from Judah, who's coming forth or whose origins will be from of old, from ancient days. So he's born a man, but his origins, his coming forth is from before he was born. Okay, so again, you get this mystery of who is this man. Zechariah 9, I mean, Zechariah is amazing. Uh... Are you still with me? Are you, are you, nobody's got up and run away. Uh, are we hearing the story? Are you feeling that, in, that be pulled into this historical story that these promises are carrying? Okay, Zechariah 9. How does, how does Yeshua come into Jerusalem? Does he come in, come in on a mighty steed and a ruling king? What does he come into Jerusalem on? Okay, why does he do that? It's a bit weird. What, what's he doing? What is it, what is he, why is he coming in on a donkey? He'll come with, a, with, with, great, with great grandeur. But I, I think he, he just knows there's a prophecy about the king coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. <laughs> right? I mean, there's incredible significance to that and meaning to that. But we, we understand why he does certain things by knowing the promises, by knowing the prophecies. So Zechariah 9, verse 9. Uh, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey? Um, okay, actually, I just feel... I was going to finish with Isaiah 53, but I actually think I'm going to finish with Zechariah 12. Um, yeah. So... 
Isaiah 53 is where the cross is revealed and this one that will come who will uh, take away the sins of, of the people. Uh, and if you ever get a chance to speak with a Jewish person about the Messiah, uh, you should know that there is one passage, one prophecy that has helped more Jews have their eyes open to see the Messiah than any other prophecy. Which one is that? Isaiah 53. Okay, But I'm actually not going to read it now because... There's another prophecy that I think uh, many people don't know, but it is, for me, one of the most incredible ones. Um, but go and read Isaiah 53. Uh, Zechariah 12. Zechariah is very mysterious, and there's a lot of tricky parts in Zechariah that you need to really get on your knees to try and understand. I don't understand a lot of them. But Zechariah 12, uh, the prophet sees this amazing thing. And God, God speaks this promise in verse 10. Uh, the people of Israel um, are in rebellion, the Jewish people. And then God says that he'll have mercy on them. And, and he says, uh, I will pour, verse 10, Zechariah 12, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. This is God speaking. Listen closely. When they look on me, on him, whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. On that day, the mourning in Jerusalem will be great as the mourning of Hadad Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. And then just skip your eyes down to chapter 13, verse 1. On that day, there shall be a fountain open for the house of David in the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Now this one might sound a bit strange to you, but for me as a Jewish person, this is incredible. Uh, Romans 11 speaks about the day when the partial blindness, where they can't see their own Messiah, will be lifted and they will see him. The Jewish people will see him. And... Uh, this verse shows us an incredible promise that I would say has not yet been fulfilled. The Jewish people, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him. Can you imagine that? I don't know how many Jewish friends you have, but can you imagine that? There's a prophecy here that has not, as far as I know, the Jewish people have not wept bitterly over the one that they have pierced. Wow. So now, you think, well, maybe, maybe that's a bit, I don't know what I do with that, but just, let's just skip over to John quick. I'm going to finish with this, but uh, I think this, this just shows how, how I'm getting into these prophecies just opens our eyes to, to incredible things. Uh, uh, John chapter 19, after uh, Yeshua dies, and wh what do they do to his body? They come with a spear and they, they pierce his, his side. Now up to that point, he hadn't been pierced. Now, now just look at this, John chapter 19, this is amazing. Uh, John is a Jewish person, he would have known these prophecies very deeply, and he's trying to tell this story. Let's start from 
verse 33. But when they, when they came to Yeshua and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken, quoting the Psalms. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. So John goes, hang on a second. God somehow is involved in this situation to have Yeshua pierced so that the prophecy in Zechariah can come true as far as I know, it hasn't yet. That the Jewish people will look on him whom they have pierced. So John has this moment. He's like, wow. That, that spear going into his side and piercing him, that means that. And then you think of Romans 9 to 11 when Paul's going, the Jewish people just didn't see him. What did he do with that? And you kind of try and work with him and chat with Steph after if you want to try and go through that journey. But you try and track Paul's thinking in Romans 9 to 11. He's going, hang on a second. They've got to see him some point. He's theirs. <laughs> you know, he's their Messiah. He's the one that, that they've been waiting for. And so you get this thread that's unfolding through history where you go, wow. They've got to see him at some point. And Zechariah 12 gives us the roadmap for that. God will pour out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of mercy. 